Welcome to Arts for the Health of It, a podcast where you will discover creative ways to improve your health and well-being. Someone may have told you that art isn't for you, but they were wrong. Anyone can create Arts for the Health of It. No talent or experience necessary. I'm just a little songbird. Try to fly my way homeward with the melody and I make the beat. Don't know where it'll take me, take me. Cause when I'm in the dark of night, I sing my way back to the light. Come along with me and your heart will see that a song changes everything. Oh, oh. Welcome, y'all, to the Arts for the Health of It podcast. Oh, my goodness. That's where an accent came from, but here we are. (laughs) I'm your host, Richard Wilmore. And I'm your co-host, Constanza Rader. And yes, we are in San Antonio, but I don't know that I've ever heard that sound come out of you, Richard. I don't know what happened, but I think I just fully became a Texan. Congratulations. Right here in front of your very eyes, folks. Welcome. Yes. (laughs) Well, our listeners also might be interested in learning that... Healthcare education entities around the country are actually starting to incorporate the arts and humanities into um, standard education. And why is that? Why, what do the arts have to do with medical education? Well, today we are talking with Alice Jacobs Vestergaard, who is a nurse educator at Samuel Merritt College in Oakland, California, and she teaches an arts and humanities class in their um, RN to BSN um, program there. That's registered nurse to BSN, bachelor's of science of nursing. Yes, I think I got that right. Um, this is why has- I just sit here in silence during this part. <laughs> And we also talk with one of the students or one of the scholars that went through the program, went through her class and kind of discovered um, the healing power of her creativity, which we love to hear those stories. Um, So we also talked to Lori Aston Dixon, um, who's been a nurse for a long time and kind of discovered her creativity in this class. So cool. While we were talking to them, uh, what popped in my head was, you know, as an arts and health organization, we go in to try to um, prove to hospitals how great this is. But what would happen if the arts program was coming from like the inside out, coming from the people that they're hiring? Yeah. Like if they knew instead of having, you know, someone come in from the outside to be like, no, this is such a great thing that you need. Like, or the hospital having it where you, where you have nurses, and and doctors coming in that have to be taught it like what if they were just taught that like that was part of their curriculum yeah well that's that's quickly starting to become you know i mean the outcomes for for students coming out of those types of courses are are really really positive um and alice talks about a lot of those from helping um clinicians form better connections with their patients honing uh, clinical skills like observation um, through the arts, building resiliency in our healthcare workers so that they're more resilient to compassion fatigue and burnout and things like that. Um, it's really cool and fascinating stuff um, that, you know, we get to hear about. And also we have a debut 
Um, with Lori today, she is, Alice describes her as the spoken word poet for nursing or the spoken word poet nurse. And we have an incredible poem that she did as kind of her capstone project for her class. And she recited it for us. It was, we sh- are we doing it now or doing the thing? What, what should we do? What should we do? Maybe... I, we're doing this live, guys. <laughs> Let's throw it in now. Do it now. It's amazing. That'll it's be the beautiful. We'll have you listen to the poem, and then we'll go right into the interview. Um, so that's what we'll do. You want to introduce Just introduce keep watching. Alice yes, and, and then at the and then... end, they both give you home play, not homework. Yes, home play. Alice is the um, queen of the pun, apparently. Yes. Uh, and so you'll have great things that you could do today to integrate arts into your everyday life. Yeah. So there you go. All right. Alice, Dr. Alex Jacobs Vestergaard is a pioneer in the integration of expressive arts into interdisciplinary health professions training. She created the required humanities course in the RN to BSN program at Samuel Merritt University and also the Hearts Health Education and the Arts University-wide initiative. She is currently working on a narrative medicine workbook that can be integrated across all health professions training to assist in creating better patient-centric care. Not too shabby. Lori Aston Dixon is a recent graduate of the RN uh, to BSN program at Samuel Merritt University. She has been a registered nurse since 2012 with a background in cardiology, stroke, and trauma. And also poet. Yeah, throw that in there. So here is um, Lori's poetry and then the interview with Alice and Lori. Take a listen. My theatrical poem is called I Dare You. Ode to those that dare to step boldly from the folds of the curtain of shame that covers our spirit and cloaks our light. Ode to those that dare to explore, expose, and expand letting life shift like sand beneath their feet. The feet that dare not ignore the call to be present, playful, and imperfect. Ode to those that dare to learn, a steely drive born from owning the failures, fortunes, and fantasy inside, inside their hearts, minds, and souls, to have experienced the great knowing of life and death and everything in between. Oh, to those that dared and learned, it is far better to live a life built by standing, seeking, sorrowing, and being than to have cowered in the corner and feared the unfurling of their mighty wings, wings to soar into the sacred spaces of the stories of another, those we serve, sanctify, and strive to bring serenity. Victims love entertainment that comes from tickling the ear they catch, the heart they tug, and sealing their fate in the tangle of the butts, bad behaviors, and blaming. Victors love to learn, to lean into adversities with an empowered lens to view their purpose, power, and presence. They do not find refuge in the platitudes, but in the poignance of a life well lived. To recognize all the things they become before they are done and revel in the remembrances. Why are we so afraid to feel? Will we buckle under the weight and shatter into a million pieces? I dare you. I dare you to feel, to fail, to fall. I dare you to dream, 
to soar, to sense the great becoming that sleeps like a dragon deep within, waiting to emerge and allow you to live a salacious tale that must be told. I dare you to find your clarity of vision and the courage to live your conviction. I dare you. I'm very excited to have both of you on because I think this is going to be a great conversation between two sides of one thing. And um, I would love to start out if you could both introduce yourselves and what you do and where you do it. Starting with with Alice. Alice. Well, hello. I'm Dr. Alice Jacobs Vestergaard, and I am a professor at Samuel Merritt University which is a health professions university located in Oakland, California, right next to San Francisco. And I'm also in that role, the lead faculty for our humanities course in the RN to BSN program. So that's, uh, do you want my background or do you want me to expand a little more? Sure, maybe just a little bit about kind of, a little bit about your background, what brought you here and maybe a little tidbit about why you're you're passionate about arts integration into healthcare education. Well, I love to talk about that. So uh, <laughs> it's not too big of a question to start with. Like that's why you're here. That's, that's like the why whole I'm thing. here. <laughs> so I I started um, a, a while ago. I'm not going to tell you the year, but. It was, it was in a different decade, let's just say that. <laughs> and I actually started out uh, as a theater arts major, Ooh. theater arts, dance, and music, um, and got a degree from UCLA and taught and, and then went on and got a master's degree, not at UCLA, but at San Francisco State. And uh, I actually worked in the field of theater arts, uh, but I had a, a, what they call a dual career. So I had a real Renaissance life and a part of me, I come from a family that has healthcare in its background. So I was also attracted to that aspect of hmm. in terms of career. And so I took courses from one end of the campus to the other. Uh, and kind of at that time, there was no integration of the majors. Now there is. And of course, there's a whole movement to combine health and uh, performing and expressive arts of all kinds. But when I was going through, we didn't have that. So I created my own. Um, And I finished my theater degree and then went right on into a master's in health science Mm -hmm. and entered the health science workforce where I worked in uh, biopharma and pharmaceutical industry and then medical surgical. So I spent a lot of time in the operating room, Mm. covered the whole body, been in uh, in the hospital a lot, Mm. seen a lot of surgeries, a lot of blood and guts, um, but saw (laughs) it was, I mean, (laughs) some of the surgeries are very precise. Like when I worked in ophthalmology, it's very finite, very clean. Um, and, And I would have to, fight to stay awake in the early mornings oh my when gosh. I was observing the surgeries. But I saw natural affinity and actually wrote my master's dissert- the thesis at that time when I was at UCLA um, 
using theater to teach nutrition, which was very progressive at the mm. time. And I had, uh, they didn't quite know what to do with me because I had on my thesis committee some scientists. Ooh, it was very progressive to do that. And they, they had never had anyone do that. This is before you crossed over into nursing. This was when you were still studying right. theater. Wow. Yes, right. So I went from theater to healthcare and then to industry. And then while I was in industry, I began teaching in the higher ed space in the evenings. And even in my job, the aspect that I loved about my job the most was the teaching. Mm -hmm. And along the way, I picked up K through 12 teaching credentials and taught uh, in, in the K through 12 environment. I just kept moving on up. So K through 12 and then community college and then different university sites, uh, both public, private, ecumenical and international. And then I ended up uh, working for an online university when online exploded and came to find out about Samuel Merritt's brand new RN to BSN program for working adults. Mm. And I saw the curriculum and I noted that there was this humanities class in it. And that got my attention. Antenna went up and I looked, I fell in love with the curriculum and there were other aspects of the curriculum uh, and have been with Samuel Merritt for over five years now. Um, and specifically in the College of Nursing. Mm. And so that is the thumbnail overview of my <laughs> life. I could go in, I could tell you stories about late nights in Hollywood. Oh <laughs> my goodness. That's a whole other podcast. Man. We will get there. Uh, I, have, I have a question quickly for Alice before we talk to Lori for a minute about why she's here. Um, what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a kid? <laughs> I don't think well, I'm guessing the list didn't wasn't as long as what it's turned into. But what did you think you were going to do? Well, I was I was uh, I was teaching out of the womb. I, I would always mm. play teacher. Uh, and, oh, actually, I I was the principal and I was very strict and would wow. punish kids if they didn't do their lessons. I remember being age five and playing principal. That's how far back it went. So I wow. had this draw to teaching. But my career aspirations were to be an actress, to be on Broadway. Mm -hmm. I fell in love with musical theater, and that's uh, it's still a love of mine. And I am a musician, and I do still actively play in various groups. I actually play in four different groups, awesome. um, and it kind of grounds me. So I, I didn't have a, as a diverse career aspirations as a child um, that I do as an adult. And of course, mm. you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And also the field, there's so many more opportunities now. And we have the evidence-based research that we didn't have back then to show the we didn't even have brain scanning capability back then to mm. show what happens when people engage in the arts and how important the arts are. And uh, this has changed the entire, not just medical field, but the landscape itself. Um, and so, so many more opportunities. There's career fields that didn't exist. 
and then new careers are being created because we now know from research the value of what the arts gives and does for people, both those who are dealing with illness in, on any stage of the continuum and those who are healthy on any mm. stage of the continuum. Healthy slash well. That was, that's it. I think Go this, now. Is, this is what's <laughs> fun about hosting this podcast is that the people in this field are so passionate that we just get to sit here and, and we don't like, but we need like one question like, hey, what have you been up to? And then 45 minutes later, we're still like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Because the, like you can, you can feel the passion in this yeah. field. And, and uh, I think that's so great. All right, Lori. Lori, you're up. <laughs> I, when she said, let's go home, I got nervous. I thought, oh, oh I, guess. <laughs> I signed up for this. It was super fun. <laughs> so. Um, my name is Lori. I'm a recent Samuel Merritt graduate from the RN to BSN program. It was a partnership that I was afforded because I'm a Kaiser Permanente nurse employee. I have nine years of experience in stroke, neuro, cardiology. Those are all aspects that I didn't have the language at the time, but those are all aspects that we are affected so profoundly and that the humanities play such a big part in finding success and finding sometimes new avenues of how to communicate in ways that you can share information, not just in the standard, you know, the traditional ways. Mm. So that has been really kind of a neat thing to learn, to have language attached to what I was already kind of involved in and not really having the expanded ability that I have now. Mm, fascinating. Can you give an example? So, in my line of work, <laughs> we have various um, people who come to us, profound strokes. What I found is providing them with artistic tools. You know, I think probably most of us have this really grand memory of the first time you opened a box of crayons, even back when you were just a little kid. So sometimes when someone has a stroke, they don't have the ability to articulate. So writing or drawing a picture. And so giving them simple things like, you know, uh, if they have the ability to write or even to point to a picture so that they can connect with something that triggers a response inside their brain um, is incredibly helpful. I've also learned just showing them, you know, sometimes when someone's very agitated because they're so frustrated that they can't communicate or they're not able to do the things that they did prior to their condition, offering them pictures, music, you know, theatrical performances, dance, sometimes triggers and sparks a memory for them that actually brings them to a place of peace and they mm. can have some solace just in those moments. So mm. important. Uh, you know, we know that stress, you know, creates greater level of sickness. So we don't want that for them. And for people who have come that have come through a, a significant heart attack or have had some sort of issue, some people come with infections and things like that, providing them with an outlet where they can express, you know, I we have green notebooks that we give to our patients. And a lot of people come in with the green notebook and they say, hey, if you like your nurse, put it in, you know, put a little note, or if you want to remember something to talk to your doctor about, put it in the green notebook. 
my favorite thing to say about that green notebook that Kaiser provides is put down how you're feeling today, how mm. you are feeling, not physically, but headspace, heart space feeling. You know, are you scared mm. today? Did you feel anxious when you woke up? Are you angry today? What's, you know, what promotes those feelings? And sometimes it's really nice to go back to them. And um, I call it our book club moment when I take care of them and I say, hey, did you come up with something to talk about how you feel? And it helps me to connect with them on a deeper level and kind of understand them better. And like Alice was talking about, there's all this research now showing one, the the connection between our emotions and our physiology and how that affects it. And then obviously the arts are a direct line to our emotions. Um, so it makes sense that 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 chain is um, really important. So I have a question for Alice now. You, um, you're passionate about specifically humanities and arts in um, health education. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about this humanities course that you guys offer and that Lori took part in, which I want to hear all about her experience as well. Um, but can you talk a little bit about um, what is involved in this course? Um, what kind of journey do the do the students go on taking the course? Um, give us give us the rundown, Alice. Sure. So uh, typically, when the the nurses in our program arrive to the course, they it's a real outlier course in the rest of the RN to BSN program. Because you can imagine when people are learning uh, their bachelor's degree courses, there's things in leadership and genetics and um, nursing science that are rooted in more traditional science-based teaching. And also nurses uh, in the functions that they perform during their day-to-day -day jobs follow very linear patterning. There's usually check sheets that are done, document, documentation that must be done. Um, and so there's a very linear task-based kind of function. Then they come to a course where there's no right or wrong answer. You are mm. going to create something. Oh, my gosh. The Do fear... people have, like, panic attacks? Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Because Lori's the, laughing. I feel like we're going to hear about that later. The number one fear is that I'm going to do it wrong. Mm. You know, and uh, because they're, they come from a very linear patterning of tasks. And then suddenly there's no right or wrong answer. There's no wrong interpretation of this dance that you're watching. There's no right or wrong of this poem that you're writing or that you're interpreting. And you're gonna create this art piece that for you represents the process of the course and what you've come to understand about the human condition. That's frightening. Mm. Um, and so there's this whole range of emotions. Biggest one, fear of doing it wrong. And then gradually they, the, the scholars, we don't call them students, we call them nurse scholars because they're returning practicing nurses, many of whom, like Lori, have years of experience as nurses. They just don't have a bachelor's degree. So they bring that experience of patient care into the class. They come in, they look at 
the course and oh my gosh, I got to read a poem. I have to. I don't. I don't think I can interpret this poem, or I have to read a play. They read a play, and then they uh, look at artwork using visual teaching strategies, and they have to interpret what the art means. And what does all this have to do with patient care is that we find that nuanced observation and going through processes of incorporating arts actually leads to better patient slash client if they're in the outpatient setting interactions. So we're, we're tying right into something we call in the science field, the nursing process. The first part of that process is assessment. And so using uh, arts helps hone assessment. Mm -hmm. It increases patient client communication. And here's a biggie. Um, as people go through the course, we spend a lot of time talking about something that really came up during COVID-19, and that's burnout mm. and um, what we call compassion fatigue. And so the we talk about the place of arts in mitigating that. And the, the nurse scholars go through a process of being first of all, fearful of doing it wrong and then scared of, oh gosh, I often hear, I have, this is something common, I have no artistic talent, mm -hmm. right? So because they, they're using self-judgments, which we all do, and in, uh, especially as adults, kids have an easier time. They're not thinking, oh, I'm going to pick the wrong color or I'm, I'm going to make the line not perfectly into the field that it's supposed to be in or this brush stroke was fatter here than it should have been. They don't do that. They just hop right in and create. <laughs> so allowing the nurse scholars to access more of their right hemisphere of the brain, here's the scientific talk about it, mm -hmm. um, using arts accesses more of the brain cells in the right part of the brain. And Lori talked earlier about how in, in working with her stroke patients, uh, she often will use color and music and movement. And there are cases in the clinical setting that we have, because no two strokes are alike, everybody has a very unique brain and every stroke is different. We, depending on where the stroke is located, it's very fascinating if you think about, there are cases where somebody's stroke impacts the part of the brain that um, enables them to use language, both spoken and written and they are not able to speak, uh, but if you sing, you you sing to them, Mr. Jones, and you up and down your voice, which we call prosody, they can comprehend it because they're accessing the neuropathways of the right hemisphere of the brain. So, I mean, I could give you a whole lecture on this and bore you all to death, oh, but it's very exciting. Yeah, mm. and this is what in the last 25 years we have learned about the impact of the arts in, in both clinical settings and in training healthcare workers 
to um, do better assessment, be more in touch with other ways of knowing other than what they learned in a textbook. Hmm. Um, so I have, I could go on and on and on, yeah. but I'm, I think Lori might have something to add to this discussion. Yeah, it sounds like Lori, maybe, well, from her little chuckles that she had at the beginning when we were talking about the fear, you have a story for us, Lori. Tell us about this process for you as a, as a scholar. Well, I think for me, this process, we live in such a litigious, judgmental society. And because of being a nurse, you deal so much in checking boxes and making sure things are right. When things don't go well, it can actually be impactful. So I think that sort of bled into this educational process of, you know, that sense of judgment. And I had shared with Alice, and I think I wrote it in a paper, I have found such great power in the vulnerability of letting go of all of that mm. and saying, you know, I'm going to try this. Who says it doesn't work? I used to make a joke. Um, if I wasn't a nurse, I would want the job of the person who names paint color. But there's no way to judge that person. How oh. could you judge my artistic vision of how I described this color? <laughs> so, so I think in this case, you know, letting go and being reminded of that, you know, little quip that I used to say all the time and allowing myself the freedom to live outside the construct of the judgment. Because at the end of the day, I have to be true to myself. I write the things that I believe in and I am able to share the things that I absolutely love. And so initially, I think on a limited base, we look at art and we say, oh, we can't, I don't paint, I can't draw, I can't knit, I can't, I, I can't really produce something visual. So then, oh, well, I've automatically nixed my ability to share anything. But what I learned through this class and through Alice's ability to kind of tease it out of me in a lot of ways, she said, just be who you are, speak from your heart, allow the words to flow. So I did a theatrical poem for my uh, humanities prospect or project, excuse me. So it just sort of came to me. I wrote it down, I recorded it, and it really was a fun experience. So I think I had said before, I wish I could just say to people, suspend your disbelief, just try it. You know, I mean, let's be honest. We've all danced around our kitchen, you know, in our pajamas alone. Uh -huh. and think about how much fun that was to just have that ability to express. So I think the thing that has been nice for me incorporating the humanities on a greater level as far as my clinical practice is it almost opens the door immediately to this relaxed relationship between my patients and what I can provide for them. So getting to know them in a more relaxed artistic way, talking, I ask them, you know, what kind of music do you listen to? Do you enjoy fill in the blank, you know, art? Um, and that's a nice way to segue into creating that bond where they trust me, I get to know them, and it makes things a lot easier in the end. So I think the nice thing about learning more about the humanities and how I have realized how much it has affected me and the, the really, really impactful way it has created a course correction in some, in some instances for me and the way I approach my patients and the way I provide care because there's some freedom in that 
relaxed vulnerability of saying, I'm going to try this. And if it falls flat, there's there are a million other things that I can try. And so mm. there's a great freedom in that ability to communicate with people. It seems like there because there's such a such pressure to um get the right answer and and check all the boxes and all that all the linear thinking um that it creates a lot of stress when disease or like the human element of medicine <laughs> comes into play like i feel like it sets people up for failure if they're uncomfortable with their with vulnerability with not having the right answer all the time um and i feel like that adds to the the mental burden that we put on our healthcare providers Lori, would you say that going through this experience, you feel like you might be more resilient in situations where you maybe don't know the answer and things are not working out the way they're supposed to? Well, that's kind of the beauty of being a human being. You know, we make plans and then there's another element that comes in. So much more resilient because now I've learned practices and ways to use more narrative nursing, you know, remembering that there's a person with a story. They were doing something else before they showed up in my bed today to be taken care of. You know, they had other plans. Nobody puts being in the hospital on their mm -hmm. social calendar. So well, I think <laughs> you didn't check mine, but <laughs> <laughs> but I think you know allowing that to be the foundation that we start our relationship with is important, you know, and there's where, you know, the arts kind of brings that connection. I don't think I've met a single person in my life that didn't have some kind of connection to something in the art world. So I think, you know, allowing that narrative nursing piece and getting to know the person beyond the prognosis is such an important thing. There is so much more to know. And there are so many things that you learn when you let them tell their story in their own terms and in their own words, allowing for all that emotional release is so important. And it actually, I've learned things by creating that communication level that I was able to share that actually created a better long-term goal for the people that I cared for. Mm. Lori, did you engage in the arts before this? And is that what drew you, drew you to this program or was that sort of a fun little side effect from it? <laughs> a little bit of both. I think it has absolutely enhanced my appreciation for what the arts bring. You know, I, like I said, you know, dealing with stroke and neuro patients, people who have had traumatic brain injury and trying to figure out ways to trigger more brain activity for them. You know, I always use some kind of form of art, whether it was music or pictures and, you know, even reminding an Alzheimer patient or a patient with dementia, you know, showing them pictures of their family and photos of places that they've been or having them talk about a good memory, you know, or it sparks a memory and then you have that greater connection. Mm -hmm. So important. Um, so it's been, it's been both. It's been mm. a way for me to learn more pieces so that I could bring it even greater and closer to my clinical practice. And it's been really excellent for me just personally to mm -hmm. grow. Alice, Lori's talked a lot about connection and the way that that like 
what she's learned and even just following her instincts previously, how that helped to um, form better connection with patients. Can you talk a little bit about why that's so important in patient care that we form, we, we form relational connections, boundaried, of course, yes, you know, all those things, but um, why is connection so important in medicine? I'm glad you brought that up because <laughs> something that's really on the table now in most um, healthcare organizations is something called the quadruple aim. And this is a compass that looks at um, patient measures. Uh, it's an approach developed by the Institute for Healthcare Improvement to optimize a health system's performance. And there's things like patient safety, and um, it's a compass. But one of it used to be the triple aim, but one of the new focus areas in the last three years has been the clinician's role in the patient experience. And now more than ever, because of COVID, we're looking at how we improve the clinical experience, um, that without the improved clinical experience from the provider side, whether it's a doctor or a nurse or an allied person like a lab tech or a respiratory therapist or an occupational therapist, that the other parts of the compass, such as lowering costs and improved patient experience and better clinical outcomes, can't be met without that clinician's piece. And what do we hmm. know about clinicians? If clinicians are happier in their work, if clinicians um are their whole person is being addressed, such as burnout prevention and this thing I, I, I use the term compassion fatigue and vicarious trauma. If you think about the stressors of COVID-19 on our health system uh, and the exhaustion, the arts are a very, very effective tool in mitigating that and helping care providers tap in to their resources, the joy of their work, which got lost in mm. all the, you know, task duties to save patients. So many organizations now are paying attention because of this quadruple aim, which is focused on clinician wellness. And mm. the arts are part of that a very big part of that. And there's some model programs uh, that have been highlighted through the National Organization of Health and the Arts, and they're working with clinicians. So it's starting to branch out. And Samuel Merritt, I'm proud to say, is on the forefront of that 21st century quadruple aim alignment in how mm. we train our, our students, not just in the RN to BSN program, but we are enacting, as I speak, a new university-wide initiative, which I'm driving through our university organizational <laughs> structure, and it's called HEARTS, Aww. Health, Education, and the Arts. Mm -hmm. And it's across the university. It's not just in academic curriculum. It's staff, it's administration, and it's also our students. Uh, because we're a culture, and 
our, our students are the workforce of today and tomorrow. And so the vital capabilities of our clinicians to connect with patients in the inpatient and clients in the outpatient is crucial. And art is the bridge. Expressive arts are the bridge to do that. Mm. We've established, Alice, that it, this is not your first decade working <laughs> in this field, but we're not going to talk about that. But so you've probably started at a time when when arts and health was not commonplace, like the phrase that it wasn't, you know, it's not, it's still not very well known here in the United States. Do you have like a, a light bulb moment in your life that you were like, oh my gosh, these two combine so well. Why aren't we doing this? And I'm going to be the one to help people do it. Well, I didn't have a light bulb. I in, I sort of intuited it um, when I was very young because I was using it way ahead of time when I was teaching K through 12. I was using theater and music and um, all kinds of expressive arts in classrooms. And I was working with marginalized populations in the classroom. And so people were letting me do things that were kind of on the fringe at the time, <laughs> uh, including, you know, going from one end of the campus to the other and doing these things within the classroom. They're not fringe anymore. Uh, we have multimodality teaching. We know how some young people, and really it's any age, uh, because gerontology is my specialty. And Ooh. it doesn't stop just because you get out of grammar school or high school. We know it's very, very important. to, to The more senses we utilize, the more brain cells are involved in our uh, thinking and our doing. And uh, now there's this big push as the population ages that it's part of uh, neuro health, uh, you know, like brain health, mm -hmm. that you want to try new experiences. And for many people, especially the self-judging people that are toting behind years of baggage, thinking that they weren't artistically talented because their perception of themselves and what what is art and and what it means to engage in it. I'll, I'll share a story. I worked with a 94-year-old at, at an assisting living facility. And one day I was just sitting around talking and what's a dream or goal you've always had? And I thought she was going to tell me, oh, take a cruise, you know, around the world or go visit Madagascar or something very exotic. And I was so shocked what she told me. She said, I always wanted to play a musical instrument, but Aww. I was told I had no musical skills. <laughs> and so what I did was just give her a, a very simple um, kind of... It, way of assessing how her brain learned. And I, I found out she's very right hemisphere dominant. So teaching music the traditional way, which is very linear, there's mm -hmm. notes on the staff and you learn this note. 
I devised this little system where um, I, I went out and I bought a little plastic recorder for four ninety nine at, at uh, I think it was at a CVS pharmacy, yes. and I brought this little recorder in with me, um, and I devised this little note system where putting your fingers down in a certain pattern. There was a ladybug has a certain number of legs, so that means you put down a certain number of fingers, okay? And then a butterfly has two wings, so that was two fingers. Uh -huh. in, in an hour session, she could play a folk tune oh. on that recorder. And I mean, there wasn't a dry eye in that facility. We were all <laughs> in tears, and even today, I, I still get emotional. Can you imagine being 94 and being told or thinking your whole life that you had no musical skill. It wasn't that she didn't have musical skill. It was that it wasn't taught to her in that way. Mm. That her brain learned and processed. So mm. sometimes it's a matter of using different techniques. And I mm. think art, again, because it accesses more of the right hemisphere. Shape, color is in the right hemisphere. Um, sound is in the mm. right hemisphere. So it's very, very powerful when we get out of our linear left hemisphere where uh, Western societies typically function. They're very dominant in left hemisphere. We're very dominant in spoken and written language. If we move over through our use of arts into the right hemisphere, uh, we're accessing a part of our brains that's sometimes needs a little waking up and it frees mm. us so i'm kind of all over the board on these responses but it, you can oh. tell i'm really passionate about this and feel and believe strongly that all clinicians need to be trained using expressive arts mm. what's the last um creative thing you did for yourself alice well, I am a musician, so I play music daily, but I also love movement. And uh, we do incorporate movement into our program. Uh, I'm, I'm a practitioner and teacher of something called Sign Chi Do, which is a combination of Tai Chi and American Sign Language. Oh. So we're, we're captivating both both hemispheres of the brain and it's powerful and it's movement and it's simple movement that people can do sitting down or standing up regardless of what their physical abilities may be what wow. don't you do my Amazing. goodness i thought i was busy but you I, <laughs> I, my god every question is like oh and then i also do this and then <laughs> a layer upon layer um uh, Lori, first of all, congratulations on your graduation. Thank we can't, you. we can't, we can't leave without saying that. And I would love to, I know there's a little, uh, bright blue square behind you. Um, and I'd love for you to show that off to everyone who will watch on YouTube. Look at that. I just kept, kept swimming and crushed it. Yes. For those of you that are listening, she's holding up her mortar, mortar board hat uh, for her graduation and it's bedazzled and amazing. <laughs> That's so cool. Shout out to Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> yes, there is a little 
there's Sorry. a little Dory appearance in there. Yes, no big deal. Um, Lori, what was the last thing, what last creative thing you did for yourself? Well, I had to write this theatrical poem for our class. And creatively, a lot of my time has been spent journaling and doing some new poetry and trying to add a little bit to what I'm understanding about the gifts that I have with mm -hmm. words and the ability to convey a really kind of neat story sometimes. Mm, so cool. And kind of getting to down to practical application here, guys. So let's say that there's um, either nurses listening, healthcare workers listening, general public listening. What's something that they can, is there something that you maybe do in class, Alice, um, that is a good prompt or something that people could try on their own today? I, I, the, you now all have home play, folks yes. who are listening. Home play, watching, not homework. No, it's, home, it's play. home play. And if you do this, you will actually give your brain a little neurobic workout. Neurobics <laughs> versus aerobics. So, um, what I would she's like. She's funny. To, she's smart. I know. I'm writing all woman. these puns down. <laughs> I just. Just as you um, end your day or start your day, um, depending on what time zone you may be in, think about uh, how you are feeling in that moment. And if you had to pick um, one object that represented that feeling, draw the object even if you think you have no artistic talent, it's not about the art. It's about thinking and then that taking the thought and then the neurons, the brain cells firing and how it goes from your brain into your physical drawing. Or if you have paints or color crayons, try and do it in color and just then have ask, ask somebody and you could do it remotely if you need to. Um, have them guess what the object is that you drew. And so that's just a simple little way of combining uh, uh, arts into our daily life. And also it's neurobic. You fire your brain cells. It's neurogenetic. It, you're you're uh, growing brain cells. Um, please, when you do this, when you're listening to this and you do this, tag Arts for the Health of It on Instagram, and we will be the people to guess what you're what doing. That could be so much is. fun. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Perfect. I love that idea. I'm going to do it tonight. Well, please tag us when you do that. Okay. I will do that. <laughs> and we will do it. Um, I also, Laura, you talked a little bit about journaling. Um and which I I call it uh, word vomiting. And some people hate that term because it's gross, but I also think it's super true and a very good description of what I do. But what do you do for journaling? For me, it's a lot of reflection. I, again, go back to my gratitude journaling. You know, I start my day with three things I hope. And sometimes it's, you know, I hope today is a smooth day and I hope I can remember to breathe. And, you know, sometimes it's really simple. And then other days it's something really big because I know something big is about to happen. And then at the end of the day, when I do my kind of gratitude jubilee, where I look and say, these are the things that happened today. Being mindful and really, especially over this last year, has become such an important part of my survival. Um, just being able to walk away from a day that 
didn't come in the form that I thought it would and that I was able to do something, whether it was a big thing like save someone's life or a small thing like wipe their tear Mm. and allow them to maintain their dignity while I did that. It's important to be able to find the good in every single day for me. Uh, it is part of my survival. This has been a tough, tough time in so many ways. And having the tools and the language to share and to help my friends, you know, when they didn't know what to do. You know, mm-hmm. I do a little thing, five, four, three, two, one. You know, you say, show me five things that you can see, four things you can hear, three things you can touch, two things you smell, and a thing that you know. And by that time, everybody's relaxed and we can get on with our day. And I do that for myself when, because you have that much time, even when things are really chaotic and difficult, you have to take those times. I would like to stop there because I think that's a great ending point. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Um, but is there anything, Sonzi, I know I cut you off, I think a little bit ago, you were about no. to, okay. Uh, oh, this is good. Great. Then I will. I can't thank you both enough for jumping on and talking to us. Um, I appreciate it so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for the opportunity. And um, Constance, I'll be in touch because we have some other folks who want to talk about their, their class as well. And um, because they have another class that deals with pain and, um, through the arts and and literature so Mm. i will put them in touch with you and then you can do another podcast i Uh, love that and if people want to learn more about you and your program and follow you guys how can how can they learn more or get in touch with you they can go on to the uh, www.samuelmerritt.edu website and they can find me there on the website and you just click and send me an email. Nice. That's easy enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys both for being here. This was so rich and I'm excited for everyone to get to hear this. So thanks for coming on. Thanks for the opportunity. Of course. <laughs> Come back anytime. Thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Make sure you subscribe um, wherever you're listening or watching to the podcast. Arts for the health of it. We will see you next week, everyone. Keep creating. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Arts for the Health of It, a podcast produced by Hearts Need Art, creative support for patients and caregivers in partnership with the National Organization for Arts and Health. You can help others learn about the healing power of the arts by subscribing, sharing, and reviewing the podcast wherever you listen or watch. The podcast is hosted by Richard Wilmore, co-hosted by Constanza Raider, and produced by Ivan Briones. Our theme song, Songbird, is written and performed by Natalie Lane. Visit heartseedart.org to learn how you can support our mission to create joy with people facing life-altering health challenges. Join us next week to learn more ways you can create art for the health of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of HeartSeed Art, their staff, board members, or other affiliates. All content is created for informational purposes only. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice or to diagnose and treat any health condition. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health professional with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you heard on this podcast.